Welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, word-based and spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonholm and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. This morning, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 13. The 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1 to 9. Who loves the Word of God? Years ago, probably 30 years ago, when I was a little bit cheekier than what I am today, uh, it was the early parts of our marriage and uh, a lot of us, we got married all around the same time and so we're building houses, we're buying blocks of land. It was kind of that stage in life. And a good friend of mine, Pastor Cameron Bennett, he was building a house. And it was in my early 20s and I was involved in sales in the corporate sector. And uh, they'd finished his house. And just before the builder had given him the key, he had to do a final inspection. And he had built this red brick house. But for some reason, when he came and looked at the final inspection, there was all of this kind of whitewashed stuff over the red brick. I don't know where there was a bleed in the grout. I mean, I don't really know. I'm not a builder. But it just didn't look great at all. And so he went to the builder and he said, hey, he said, uh, there's all this whitewash on the bricks. You have to clean the bricks before we do handover. And the builder looked at him. He said, nah, mate, that's the latest look. He said, well, how come the, every other house is clean, but my house is dirty? He said, well, we thought we'd do something a little bit experimental with your house. And so really the builder didn't want to pay to actually get the, the, the bricks pressure cleaned. And so there was a bit of an argy-bargy going backwards and forwards. And so Cameron rang me and he goes, hey, he goes, can you help me with this? He said, I've got a mediation with the builder and uh, he's going to have a couple of guys in the room. He goes, I want to have a support person. Can you be there with me? I said, sure, no problem. I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to dress up in a three-piece suit with a briefcase. He goes, what's in the briefcase? I said, nothing at all. And so we set up for this mediation. Cameron Bennett's walking in front of me. I'm walking three steps behind him. I walk in with my three-piece suit and my briefcase. We walk into the mediation room. The builder looks at him and looks at me. The builder goes to Cameron, he goes, who's this guy? Cameron goes, don't worry about him, he's just observation. (laughs) What's his purpose here? It's just to take notes. And so we sat down, I opened up my briefcase, I pulled out my notepad, I began to do noughts and crosses. (laughs) He goes, what's he doing? He's just observing and taking notes. And the reality was this, after the hour meeting, It completely unhinged the builder (laughs) that basically Cameron got everything that he wanted and actually completing his house. Now, if the builder would have said to me, who are you and what are your credentials? I just would have said, look, I'm just a mate of his who just dressed up in a three-piece suit with a briefcase in my hand. I just thought I'd support him. (laughs) It's amazing how you and I can get so distracted by things that aren't real, but there are illusions in the world today. It's amazing how we as people can often be led by what we see, not by faith. So I want to talk to you this morning about the power of anointed, godly, purposeful focus in our lives. I've titled my message today, The Old Prophet and the Man of God. This is such an unusual passage of Scripture because it talks about a guy who had a word from God. 
It talks about this nameless man of God whom God had called with a specific purpose, but somewhere along the way, he got distracted. Somewhere along the way, he allowed what he saw to actually rob him of the purpose of God in his life. And so we're going to have a look at this today. 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1 to 9 says this. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel. As Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar, altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. A man named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who will make offerings here and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. So the man of God comes with quite a crazy word from God for that particular king. Now, when King Jeroboam, it wasn't a great word, so he was quite mad. He heard what the man of God cried out against the altar and Bethel. He stretched out his hand from the altar and he said, seize him. But the hand he stretched out towards the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God, by the word of God. Then the king said to the man of God, intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. And so the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, come home with me for a meal and I'll give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, even if you were to give me half of your possessions, I would not go with you, nor will I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. Verse 11. Now there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel. His sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. They also told the father what he had said to the king. Their father asked him, which way did he go? And his son showed him and which road the man of God from Judah had taken. So he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And when they'd saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree and asked, are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I've been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way that you came. The old prophet, I too am a prophet, as you are. And an angel has said to me by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. What a mongrel. So the man of God returned with him and he ate and he drank in his house. The story goes all of chapter 13. It's one of the most unusual passages in the Word of God where as they're eating and drinking, all of a sudden, the prophet, the old prophet, who shafted the young man of God, gives him a word from God that he's going to die. And as the young man of God goes back to where he came, he gets mauled by a lion and the purpose and the dream and what God had for his life died at that moment. And the point is this, he was a good guy with a good plan and a good purpose, but he got distracted by the illusions of what he saw and he missed out for God's purpose for his life. And I began to think about this, how it's so easy for us in this life to get distracted. It's so easy for us in this life to get swayed by what we see 
rather than going back to the things that God has called us to do. The circumstances, the people we meet along the way in our journey that have the ability to get us off course, that in the end we die to the purpose of God in our life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 says, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. The Galatians were persuaded by religious people. They were not persuaded by ungodly people. These people that were persuaded by were like the old corrupt prophets. We get persuaded by so many things when God gives us a mandate and a purpose. It's so easy for us to get off course. So I guess the question is today, what did God ask the man of God to do? And I think there's three things here out of this passage that I actually believe that are not only applicable in the Old Testament, but they are timeless when it comes to sticking long-term to the things that God is asking us to do. The first one is this, God asked him to do three things. Number one, He asked him to deliver a message. It was really simple. Not only to deliver a message, but to be a message. To be a message of hope and understanding. To be a message of change. To be a message of authenticity. The power that was coming out of this man of God's life was reflecting his message. Not only did he speak the truth, but he was the truth. I think one of the greatest challenges in life is to make sure that we don't get dissuaded by the things that God is asking us to do. The message, the mandate that God has put upon our lives. Remember being at a pastor's conference once, one of the pastors were asking me, what, you know, what's your mandate? I said, to be a good husband, to be a good father, and to lead a good church. Don't wanna be influential, don't wanna change the world, be a good husband, be a good father, and be a good pastor for my church. It's amazing how simplicity of the messages that God give us, that if we just stick to those simplicities, it's amazing that we can arrive at the end like the Apostle Paul say, hey, we've achieved everything that God has put upon our heart. But it's so easy to get persuaded by the different things that come into our lives. You know, many years ago, we've been in Melbourne now for 13 years, and when we first arrived from Adelaide to Melbourne, uh, we used to love going to the different cafes that were in Melbourne. In Adelaide, there's probably about two or three cafes. <laughs> but Melbourne's like Sydney. There's great coffee, great cafes. And so on our day off, my wife and I, we'd go, we'd find a cafe and then we'd find something new and we'd enjoy it. Anyway, one day I was reading in the paper that there was a cafe in Melbourne that had made the best croissants in the world. In the world! <laughs> in Melbourne! Not in Sydney. <laughs> in Melbourne. Better than Paris. Better than Italy. I think this is amazing. Now I've got to tell you, I'm a sucker for headlines like that. <laughs> Even if they're not the best croissants in the world, I'm in, I'm all in, this is going to be amazing. So I thought, you know what, Saturday morning, because I'm up early while the kids are asleep, I'm going to get up early, I'm going to drive into the city. Our house was about 45 minutes away from the centre of town. I'm going to buy croissants. <laughs> I'm going to surprise my family. I'm going to be father of the year and husband of the year. So I got up at 5.30, 6am because the, it opened up at 6, got there at quarter to 7. Sure enough, there was a line. 
There was a line that was about 45 minutes long. And so I waited in line. It was raining. It was cold. I'm thinking, I've taken one for the team. Hallelujah. <laughs> got to the end and we got five in our family. Our three kids and my wife and I. And lady said, how many do you want? I said, I'll have six. Five for the family and one for the road. I put the croissants in the car and they had just been baked and they were unbelievable. But I was a man with a mission. I was a man with a mandate. I had a calling from God to bless my family. So driving in the car, pulled out one of the croissants, the one that I had from the road, the one that I needed to sustain me for me to, in order to get back home. And as I ate it, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was crispy. It was fluffy. It was amazing. I finished that croissant, I go, this is incredible, this is amazing. About 10 minutes down the road, I started thinking, I've had my one for the road, I think I'll have my one that I'm gonna have when I get home. <laughs> so I opened up the box and pulled out the next croissant. It was even better than the first one. But I was a man with a mission. I was a man with a purpose. I was gonna bless my family. As I'm driving along, 15 minutes into the journey, I started thinking about all the good things that I'd done for Franca over the years. <laughs> get up early, get the house ready, I vacuum. I thought, you know what? I've taken a few hits for her. I reckon she can take a hit for me. <laughs> I pulled out the box. I ate her croissant. I didn't even feel the twinge of guilt. It was amazing. Driving along, 20 minutes into the journey, got another 25 minutes to go. I'm looking at the other three. My kids were young back then. <laughs> Began to think, how can a child eat such a massive croissant? <laughs> but I reckon I can divide two croissants between three kids. <laughs> I pulled out one of them, I ate it. This is my fourth croissant now. It is absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> by the end, by the time I got home, there was an empty box. I walked in the door, Frankie didn't know that I went. She goes, where have you been? I said, I've been on a prayer walk, thank you, Jesus. She goes, what are all these crumbs doing here? I said, I had to confess my sin. It's so easy for us to get off course. So easy for us to get distracted when we know we need to do the right thing. See, it's one thing to have a message, it's another thing to actually deliver the message. You see, this man not only had a message, but he was the message. And God had called him to deliver the message. The old prophet represents someone who had a message and who had lost it. Lost the message, the mandate, the call. Still had a gifting, but he had no message. And in a pivotal moment in Israel's life, the old prophet was nowhere to be seen. The old prophet should have been the one to deliver the message to the king. But somewhere along the way, through his own discipline and personal commitment, he'd lost 
his message. I think there are two types of people in this world. I think there are those who have a message, who are focused on delivering that message, who have a goal, a dream, a purpose, a mandate, right? And there are those who've lost their message and so they want to mess with other people's messages. The sideliners, the old prophets, who want to meddle, cause strife. Let me quote you from Clint Eastwood. Who loves Clint Eastwood? Someone once asked Clint Eastwood, he goes like, man, you're 200 years old, mate. How can you keep making movies? He goes, every every day I make a decision, don't let the old man in. Don't let the old prophet in. Don't be a sideliner with all the opinion. Be committed to the message that God has put in your life. Amen? The second one is this. Number two, don't eat what's on offer. He says to the man of God, just don't eat what's on offer, not just physically, but spiritually. Just don't accept what is put before you. Don't eat rubbish. Don't get sidetracked by rubbish. Don't consume what you see. You know, church, it's so easy for us to consume what we see. We see unbelief. We see fear. We see resistance. We see difficulty. Rather than being consumed with obedience and listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, And the reality was this situation was bad. They needed someone to cut through all the noise and to bring change. You know, we can often make judgmental calls not by what we hear from the voice of God, by what we actually see. And often what we see can actually dampen our faith. But I believe often God will speak to us and challenge us to be in obedience of things that we often look on the outside and go, it is impossible for God to do anything in this particular situation. You know, I remember the very first time that I wanted to move in the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, I'd just taken over uh, the Young Adults of Paradise and uh, they were, uh, you know, people started asking me to come and preach. And, you know, I was freaking out because I'm thinking, I've just taken over this ministry. You know, I I'm, I'm don't feel that I'm a preacher or, you know, moving in that circles. And so this particular church in Perth had asked me to come and uh, to do their camp. And I was freaking out. I was in my early 20s and uh, we'd been married for a couple of years. And so this particular church in Perth had asked me, you know, they invited a whole bunch of other preachers in the past. And so it was quite a significant platform. Church, I was freaking out. I'm thinking this is well beyond me. This is something that I can't do in my own strength. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, I want you to go on a 40 day fast and I want you to begin to pray and ask for the gifts of the Spirit. Because I want you to move powerfully in the gift of the prophetic, right? Not the pathetic, the prophetic, right? <laughs> and so I went on this 40-day fast. I started praying, Holy Spirit, I pray that you just give me this gift, give me this gift, give me this gift. Anyway, about 21 days into my fast, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, I've given you the gift of the prophetic. I want you to begin to step out of faith. And so I put together some sermons. It was back in those days that it would take me one week to write one sermon. And so I put together a bunch of sermons that I thought would be applicable, jumped on the plane, me and my wife, we're flying to Perth and I'm saying, God, give me a word for people today. Like even right now, give me a pre-word before the word. For the Holy Spirit saying, no, you've got to trust me in faith. I rocked up to this particular meeting. They picked me up from the airport. They took me straight there. We walked into this school hall. There's about 800 young adults there. I'm freaking out, right? I'm looking around saying, all right, God, give me a word for someone, right? God says, no, you've got to trust me. I'll give you the word when you are right on the edge before you give the word. I said, thanks, thanks God. <laughs> and so 
they invited me up. Please welcome Pastor Matt to get up. As I get up, I said, all right, God, give me a word. He goes, all right, there's a girl in the back row. He said, I want you to pull her out. I'm going to give you a word. I said, what's the word? He said, I'll tell you when she gets to the front. <laughs> and I'll be honest again, what you see and what you observe, rather than being obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to go for broke. Maybe this is the last time I've ever preached in the pulpit again. So I called this girl out from the back. I said, hey, you in the back. Why don't you come out the front? She's looking around me. I said, yes, you come out. Comes out to the front. I said, can I put my hand on your head that I pray for you? She said, yes. I said, all right, God, what's the word? God said, tell her I love her. Now, it's not a bad word. But 21 days of prayer and fasting. Like all I get is I love you. But surely give me something else. Give me what she had for breakfast. Give me what her mother's name is. Give me some things that will blow her mind. God says, just be obedient. Just tell her that I love her. So I just said, all right, God says he loves you. All right, you can sit down. <laughs> I didn't even say it in faith. Kept preaching, thought I missed it. Get to the end of the meeting. Her friend comes up to me. She goes, that was amazing. I go, really? I thought, man, the bar for Perth expectation is like really low. <laughs> That's amazing. So why is that? She goes, well, that's my unsaved friend, first time in church, came out from uni. She turned to me during the praise and worship and she said, if your God is really real, I want him to hear him say himself that he loves me. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Just don't eat what's on offer. Yeah. Just don't consume what you see. I said this to my young people the other day. And I go, you guys may want to write this down. TikTok is not the fountain of truth. The Word of God is the fountain of truth. Just don't eat what's on offer. It's so easy to get persuaded by too many voices rather than being obedient to the Holy Spirit. The third one is this. I want the musicians to come. It says, number one, deliver a message. Number two, don't eat what's on offer. Be discerning what you allow into your soul. And number three, go back a different way. He says, don't go back the same way that you came. In other words, he's saying to trust God with his journey. Now, if you think about it, between those two cities, there was really only one way. It was the wide road. It was the well-trodden road. It was the road that people were used to. It was the road that was well advertised. It was the road that you would have expected to come back the other way. And yet God says to me, he goes, I don't want you to go back the same way that you came. And I'm sure if I was the man of God, I'll go, I would have said, well, God, that's the most obvious way. That's the way that seems to be the safest way. That's the way that seems to be the way that is not so difficult. That's the way that everyone uses. And yet the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, I want you to go back a different way. What the man of God didn't realise that there was a line on the side of the road. There was another way that connected the two cities. And that route would have meant a perilous pathway through field, fields and thickets, through rocky, hard places. It was not the easy way in the natural. It would have been a lot harder going back. It probably didn't make sense, but God knew something that the man of God didn't know. There are times that you and I don't know what's ahead. There are many times that we don't know what's ahead. 
So God asks us to go down a different pathway. And it's not an easy pathway. It's a pathway that's filled with thorns and thickets and stony, rocky ground. And sometimes when we ask to go down this particular pathway or life leads us down a certain pathway, we go, why am I going through this? Where is the faithfulness and the consistency of God? What we've got to understand today is that God is more interested in the end result than the actual journey that He takes you on. And whether you actually trust Him in the journey, that even though the journey may look hard and even though the journey may look arduous and even though the journey may look difficult, the challenge for you and I is do we trust God that no matter where God takes us, no matter what God does in our life, we will trust Him because He knows what He's doing in our lives. Jesus never promised us a pain-free life, (laughs) but He promised us a life that He will always be with us no matter what we go through, no matter what challenge and difficulty we may face. And I guess the challenge for you and I today is that if we are gonna complete the purpose of God for our life, if we're gonna get to the end and say like the Apostle Paul, I poured myself out, I did everything that the Lord Jesus has asked me to do. Do we trust Him with the journey? There are many times that you and I, we walk in directional darkness. We don't walk in spiritual darkness, but we walk in directional darkness. And I think many times there can be a temptation for you and I to light our own fires. I think in the book of Isaiah, it talks about you who light your own fires when you're in directional darkness. Don't do that. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and to direct you no matter what you're going through. And I just sense this morning that God just wants to encourage people in this area. And maybe today the pathway that you were on, you never ever thought that you would arrive at that position. Maybe today you're in directional darkness. Can I encourage you this morning? The Spirit of God is with you. God wants to help you. God is gonna lead you. You say, I never thought I'd be in this place. I thought it'd be easy. I thought I'd arrive at a different destination. Trust God that God knows what He's doing with your life. Maybe the road to this point was easy. Maybe the road back is hard but we can trust that the Holy Spirit knows exactly what He's doing in our lives. Number one, deliver a message. Be a person with a message. Number two, be discerning on what's on offer. And number three, trust God with your journey. I wanna pray for people this morning. While you're in your seats, I just believe the Holy Spirit is gonna breathe life in whatever stage of the journey that you are in right now. I think one of the greatest challenges in the Christian walk is just to trust Him. Like Job says, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Though my life is difficult, I trust Him. Though there are things I didn't expect, I trust Him. Though I'm surprised that I've arrived at this destination, I trust Him. I trust the sovereign purpose and will of God over my life. You know, I believe it's the very thing that separated the disciples from everything else in the New Testament. You think about it, you know, when they were called to walk with Jesus, they knew that they would come to a place where they would die for their faith. And yet there was a passion and a hunger that did not diminish throughout the whole of their days because they trusted God with every part of the journey of their life. Can I pray for you this morning? Can I pray today that we are people that understand that no matter where we're at, God is in control of every part of the journey of our lives. Come on, I want you to stand to your feet this morning. Thanks for listening to this message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.